0: And Jesus sighed deeply and said, and Marilyn, I know you were scared of the word, but it's kind of a fun word to say. You can say it at home or in your seats, too. Ephatha, open up. And that's really what I wanted to say this morning, so you can tune out the rest of it. But let's, let's open with a word of prayer. God, thank you for the gift of community so that we can read together and seek understanding and new perspectives together. And I pray that you would fill this community with your spirit, so that we may be able to hear and understand your word spoken through Jesus, and so that we may be able to live as a community that bears witness to that good news. Amen. So as you likely know, the lectionary each week gives us an Old Testament reading, an epistle a psalm, and a gospel reading. In other words, it's, it's a lot. So we usually skip some of that. But it, it's a rhythm for churches to make their way through the Bible over time. And it's often more than we have time to devote to. But some weeks, the texts seem to play off each other in this beautiful and synchronous way. And you get the sense of that broad and sweeping story that unfolds over all of the Bible. And so that's partly a justification for having a couple of long passages for Marilyn to read to start off with. But I think it's, it's worth our time as we try to read and understand together. As I read the texts this week and reflected and prayed for a word for our community and for this moment, with so much going on within and around our shared lives, a word maybe for the start of the year when many of our community are settling into new routines around school or other things that pick up after summer, a thought that might encourage us as transitions are happening here and we are trying to reestablish what our normal looks like after putting so many things on hold over this past year or longer. As I read, I, I found myself drawn back to this climactic moment in the second healing in the gospel story when Jesus, with his touch and with his spit and with a deep sigh, And with a word, provides physical healing to a man that was deaf and mute. And by that healing, restores a man to to the community. And as I read that word, and by this story of healing, I felt with it a gospel for hope, for healing and hearing, and even restoration and expanded understanding for me and for us, contained in this fun and awkward word to say, Ephatha, open up. The Gospel of Mark, I think, intentionally pushes these two healing stories right next to each other. And we read both of them uh, this morning as one connected unit. The first, I think, though, provides a powerful setup to the healing of the deaf and the mute man. It's the one, though, that if you were looking for a nice story for Sunday school, you'd probably just skip over that one and go straight to the deaf and mute man. Taking a close look at this other healing story, the story of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, has actually made me think that we may need to, you know, the the WWJD bracelets that some of us wore at some point in our life, that whole idea maybe needs an asterisk or a disclaimer, or at least maybe an expanded footnote. Maybe it needs, you know, to in our WWJDing, there may need to be a warning. First of all, that it may cause erratic behavior, which we see in other parts of Mark. This is the stuff like yelling at storms, flipping tables. But I think we chalk this up to the kind of good trouble that we expect from a, a radical teacher. But the other part of that is that there also seem to be times where you know, we see Jesus getting it wrong. Or at least there, there needs to be some further explanation. I mean, on the surface, what happens in this healing story. We wouldn't want to just straight WWJD it. And that shouldn't be completely surprising because we do believe and confess that Jesus was fully human. And so we recognize that there must have been human moments and airs of judgment, even by Jesus. And I assume that those moments were usually left off script by the gospel writers and they're left to the gospel B-roll. But here in Mark, we have a moment where it seems to me like, Jesus at least starts off by getting it wrong. And of course, that's part of why we have talk back, is you can all you know, take me to task on that, and maybe the, the call line's already lighting up. But, you know, I think that as we look at that, well, well, we'll talk about it and see together. So Tim talked last week about Jesus teaching and healing through the Jewish region of Galilee, confronting other Jewish teachers about purity codes and what real faith looked like. The text notes that Jesus left that place and now he is far away from home, near Tyre, at or near the boundaries of the Roman Empire and what were formerly centers of Phoenician economic and military power. Phoenicians were notable as enemies of the people of Israel. So this story centers on not just a Gentile, not even just a Gentile woman, but note Mark's calling out that she is a Gentile of Syro-Phoenician descent. She was an outsider of outsiders. And it seems to not have been uncommon as the same word comes up in other places, even in the New Testament, that outsiders and strangers like this woman were referred to as dogs. We get the sense that Jesus is tired, if not from the long journey, then from what was already been a busy time of ministry and outdoing. This seems like an attempt at a retreat. He has taken up residence at a house, hoping to escape notice, the text tells us. The woman finds Jesus despite his best efforts to not be found, and she is already defying customs that would not have given a woman agency to approach a man, particularly in private, in a house. It's clear that she is desperate. It's not on her own account that she is seeking help, but she is a driven mother, ready to do whatever it will take to help her daughter, include to cross boundaries and borders to secure her daughter's well-being. We don't have to stretch to modernize the image of a mother determined to cross any border and forsake any taboo to secure the well-being of her child. And this is where Jesus' response, at least as I read it, is kind of jarring to our WWJD sensibilities. He responds to her desperation for healing with what is on the surface a refusal. Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. The children we may understand to be the children of Israel, and dogs, as I mentioned, is a common slur used for outsiders. So at best, this is a not yet, if not just, a full attempt to turn her away, and in language that I think should cause us to stop for a minute and wonder, what's happening in this story? But the woman will not concede, and so in a twist of Jesus' words, she retorts, even the dogs get the children's crumbs. And so one way you can maybe read this passage is a test of the woman's faith. And if that's the case, you see that she's passed. Our CEB, which is the translation that we read, has Jesus' response as, good answer. It just seems kind of like a, I don't know, it just strikes me as abrupt. So If you read this as a test of her faith, then the implication is that she's gotten the right answer. And so, you know, on account of her persistence, her daughter is healed. But even that seems like a cruel test to endure. As I read this story, I also see a border crossing and persistent mother taking a role in shaping how and when the gospel story unfolds and the possibility that she was actually expanding Jesus' own understanding of the mission that he had already started. A more literal translation of Jesus' response to her comeback with even the dogs eat the crumbs. Maybe Jesus saying, Because of your words, or because of your teaching, your daughter's healed. The phrase contains this word logon, which, which you know goes beyond just saying, good answer. It's like she's come back with a teaching, some kind of new word. Perhaps Mark chooses to include this story because we see Jesus, the rabbi who had just handled the leading scholars on purity codes on their home turf, now conceding the argument to a desperate mother who from her position is stretching even Jesus' own understanding of his mission, or at least pushing the timeliness. Her desperation makes Jesus' mission not fast enough. Even as we see the disciples and insiders struggling to understand and perceive, here this outsider of outsiders seems to get it and uses her agency to press Jesus on it. And in the coming chapters, we do see the pace of Jesus' ministry to Gentiles accelerate, including as he returns from Tyre and enters the Greek area of the Decapolis, where the story we started with of the healing of a deaf and mute man takes place. There's a sense that this encounter with Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman may have shaped even Jesus' itinerary, may have sped up some of his next actions, And that this exchange with the woman has in some way opened up Jesus' own understanding and perspective. And so with the background of this encounter with the Syrophoenician mother, it seems to me to add layers of meaning to this second story in the unit of healing of a deaf and mute man. And the powerful word that in the story brings healing and by its positioning seems to me to be also a call to those who want to follow Jesus. With fingers in the man's ears and touching the man's tongue, he cries out, Ephatha, open up. So then what are the things that keep us from this openness? And here is where I came back to the reading in James. I think, you know, often we have the good news in the gospels and the messy stuff trying to be worked out in the epistles as James is a letter to a specific community trying to figure out what it means. The community that James writes to seems to have been having issues that are not unfamiliar amongst early church communities and issues that I would dare say persist. He is addressing divisions and distinctions that come from their gathering. Specifically, these seem to be about what happens around the table when they share the Lord's Supper. It rings familiar with what Paul addresses with the community in Corinth in 1 Corinthians. There, we learn that some were going away hungry while others were stuffed. Here the community is divided around issues of fashion and who shows up wearing what and what place that gives them at the table instead of a feast that is a foretaste of God's kingdom. This meal is preserving the socioeconomic hierarchy. The wealthy and secure are guaranteed a seat while the poor and vulnerable, it's standing room only. It's probably the case that this all goes down despite their having the best of intentions. I mean, the people in these communities, as we can understand, are busy people. They're trying to do the right thing. They showed up. These are hard boundaries, after all, to break down, especially when there's a lot to plan and do to have these feasts, to have these gatherings. And maybe this is some part of it. Maybe it's that commitment to get the list done, to sort of check off our ministry to-dos that can close us off to what God is doing with a bigger and broader stroke. Maybe that's what leads some to say, you have faith and I have works. Who has time for both? And when I'm busy doing the work, I may not have to confront my own fear and doubt. I mean, openness and trust is a vulnerable position to leave ourselves in. And it definitely deserves its own reflection. But James here is saying, these are not two separate ideas, faith and works. Workless faith falls flat. It misses our participation and transformation in our own hearts and in the world around us through walking in the way of Jesus. Faithless works, on the other hand, are disoriented. They are likely to cause as much harm as good as they are prone to be led off course and skew God's vision of inclusion and justice. We have the benefit of Menno Simons, who the Mennonites are named after. His own words, which we even sing on occasion, And that brings these two ideas together so well. True evangelical faith cannot lie dormant, he says, but spreads itself out in all kinds of righteousness and fruits of love. It seeks, serves, and fears God in its inmost soul. It clothes the naked. It feeds the hungry. It comforts the sorrowful. It shelters the destitute. It aids and consoles the sad. It does good to those who do it harm. It serves those that harm it. It prays for those who persecute it. It teaches, admonishes, and judges us with the word of the Lord. It goes on. So only believing the right things or carrying out a list of what we believe to be the right things to do can leave us in this position of either protecting the borders of our orthodoxy, our right belief, or trying to fake the motions and usually getting off course like these misrepresentations of the Lord's Supper that end up projecting the very socioeconomic oppression that they are intended to be a witness against. It is this grounded faith that centers us and enables living and discipleship in this posture of openness. So as I wrap up, I've had in mind this, lately this idea um, that I've heard talked about of the great resignation that some people say is underway in our culture. People, um, usually it's talking about kind of a mass exodus of workers who are shifting to new opportunities. It's accompanied, I think, too, by the idea that this is also a time of great reorientation, a reevaluation of priorities and and focus. I think that there are many positive aspects to that, that kind of movement, that force. It's a time to reimagine our commitments and discover what is life-giving. But it may also be experienced as a scary and disorienting time. It would be a time that would be easy to respond in fear rather than in faith. It would be a time to resort into busyness and try to find our grounding in old paths and rhythms that may not have served us, but served to distract us. It will be a time for most of us to grapple with how to get back to normal, to try to remember what was normal, to try and figure out what to hold on to, what to let go of. This is personal work many of us are doing and will do. And no doubt it's work that we will, we have been doing and will continue to do as a community. And so I find grounded in that faith that plants us in the stream of God's work in the world, let's take a posture of openness to be stretched in our understanding of ministry, even as Jesus was stretched by this encounter with the Syrophoenician woman. In the midst of this resigning and reorienting, brothers and sisters, Jesus speaks this word over us and over our community. Ephath. Open up. Amen.